Well, um, it was it was about a year ago that um, we sort of began talking about changing up the format of like how we did these conferences a little bit and taking our afternoon sessions and kind of mixing some teaching in to like begin our um, our discussion and um, and just kind of wanted to remind everyone that sort of the, our thought process behind that was to just that this is kind of a unique opportunity uh, to um, maybe share and say some of the things that we think the Lord has kind of taught us over the years and kind of um, for the sake of folks that we have, a I think, a larger number of people who tend to kind of join us online and we have friends from out of town and sometimes new, new folks. And so we just kind of... Um, we introduced sort of this at the spring conference, if some of you weren't there, just uh, these afternoon meetings to do a little bit of kind of just trying to declare truth or just share or kind of uh, foster the discussion uh, um, by kind of a little bit of, um, a little bit of, I don't know, teaching. Like somebody asked me, is it a teaching? And I said, sort of. <laughs> um, but I, I mentioned that because as I've thought about what to what to share with the group today? I kind of I think along those lines about like what 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 would be good to kind of share about what um, what the Lord has taught us and and um, some of the things that uh, are maybe a little bit like distinctively helpful about kind of where the Lord has led us away from um, certain things. I in the in May I kind of I did one of these too and and I I talked pretty much the entire time, really kind of about like our journey, kind of how we, how the Lord dealt with us uh, individually and as a body, kind of coming out of, um, coming out of mostly like the, um, the, the larger church and kind of, um, I, I won't repeat any of that, but as I was, as I was kind of thinking a little bit about sharing again, um, I, one of the things that kind of just like first kind of came to my mind, if I kind of thought like, man, if I could, I don't know, if somebody, if all of a sudden I was on a seven hour plane flight to Tokyo and some super sincere Christian sat next down to me, next, uh, right down next to me and said like, you know, tell me about your church or like what, what or why do you guys do what you do? Um, I just kind of was thinking about that a little bit and and it's probably like from the outside it probably like probably people look at us a little bit and say like oh you guys are the weird ones who have like silent meetings you know and you you meet in the house and nobody says anything um and that's probably what seems like I guess like from just like looking at us kind of like distinctive and and I, I think our beginning our meetings in silence is like really wonderful and really wise and really good but um if I if I were you know having this hypothetical, plain, five hour talk with somebody, I, I don't think that's even near where I would kind of begin to kind of say like what felt like the most like real and important about uh, what the Lord had taught us and why we had kind of in some measure uh, separated from like a lot of like the Christianity that's in the world you know, um, and as I was kind of asking myself like what feels like the most like what would you what would you start with, Jared? What would you? I don't know. There's so many different things we could talk about, but I found my mind kind of gravitating a little bit towards um, 
uh, wanting to talk about like the nature of salvation itself, like what what salvation is, um, uh, or maybe the word justification. Those are kind of similar. Um, I think that kind of the Lord has dealt with us um, in different ways and at different speeds over the years, but in in great measure to kind of like really bring us to. Um, I think a, a clearer and more helpful like view of the reality of salvation or justification before the Lord in a way that um, feels like there's a lot of confusion and error and deceit, honestly, in the world, um, in the, in the, in the church at large. And I don't mean to like paint with incredibly, you know, with generalizations to sweep everybody in that. I think there's a lot of like really, um, I don't know if a lot's the right word, but the Lord has his like 7,000, like, you know, that haven't bowed the knee. I think there's, there's sincere hearted, like earnest, serious, inward Christians kind of scattered all throughout like the denominations and the, the, uh, different groups. And I, I re- really do believe that. But on the other hand, I don't want to be afraid to kind of say what I, I think is really clearly true, that there's a, there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of like deception, um, and false teaching, you could say false doctrine, um, that's kind of like filled the world of like so-called Christianity. And uh, we can still be really merciful about like the people who are the, the, the people who are sprinkled here and there with soft, uh, loving hearts to the Lord that, that he is glad to own as his own, but also be, be, um, be clear that that there's a lot of deception, there's a lot of empty words out there. And it's, it's nothing new, like I, the apostles, even in the time of, you know, the, the church was, I think, far healthier in the first century when Peter and Paul and John and Barnabas and James were still traveling around and um, and there was great grace upon the church. And yet even then, they seemed to be constantly... Um, warning people not to be deceived about like the nature of the gospel, the nature of salvation, the nature of righteousness, the nature of what it means to actually be saved by God out of this world. You know what I mean? And so um it's it's not a it's not a new thing. It's kinda it's been it's been like this always. It's it was like it this in the in the old testament as well. But um, um so I know it's kind of like a big, big topic and I don't want to uh, go too long. So I'll see if I can just kind of um, try to get to the heart of what I mean. Um, th- there's, a, there's a version of the gospel or there's a version of salvation that is um, very prominent uh, in the world and in the church that um, – I think is really entirely unbiblical and really dangerous and really hurtful. Um, and it's, it's dangerous. You know, I, I'm tempted, I'll just say a couple words about this. I'm tempted to talk a bunch about just why something is dangerous. Again, we don't, we don't believe that, um, like doctrine or like for its own sake, like matters at all. Like the Lord doesn't, it's not, like the Lord didn't separate the sheep and the goats by their doctrines. Did you notice that? Um, and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna suffer eternally because like they made a mistake or they didn't 
pick the right doctrine or the right idea. And so but you could take that to this extreme and say, like, doctrines mean nothing, then why not, why not care? But, but teaching and doctrines are, um, are, are really important because they directly affect what we do with our time and whether we're doing with our time and our hearts what is necessary or not necessary while there still is time. You know, um, like I think about the, the, you know, the parable of the, the 10 virgins, right? Who Jesus, you know, I think it's Matthew 25. And he, he describes the state where five of the virgins have oil and are ready for the Lord and five have no oil in their lamps and they're left out and the door is shut and this awful, like this incredibly intense picture the Lord is trying to, um, to get about the possibility and the probability that like many people will be um, unprepared and, and, and left out and knocking at the door and saying, Lord, open to us. And he'll say, I, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from. The, the time you had time to get oil and you didn't. And I, I mention that because like imagine – you take those 10 virgins and you go back in time, I don't know, in the parable, whether it's 12 hours or 12 weeks or something like that. And they're all sitting there and the bridegroom hasn't come. And they're in this moment of time where they have the possibility of getting oil and being prepared and, and, and not becoming, not like suffering that incredibly awful fate of being left out and knocking at the door and hearing the Lord say, it's too late, you know? So go back. And I just think that like moment of like, you know, rewinding time and thinking about those like 10 virgins sitting there. Now, now imagine like a couple of like teachers came by at that moment and, and looks at all of them. And some of them are starting to get oil in their vessels and and their lamps and some don't, aren't. And a, a, a teacher could be um, pretty influential at that moment in time because a, a teacher might say, oh, how are you guys doing? And a few of them with no oil might say, well, I, I, my lamp is still totally empty. I know I should really get around to getting some oil. And um, the teacher could say something, well, like, um, no, you know, I've got good news from the Lord uh, for you that your lamp is actually full. And they'd say, wow, that stranger doesn't look full. And I said, well, but I'm just telling you, the Lord, in the Lord's eyes, it's full. And, and if those, you know, foolish virgins were to like take that to heart, then any sort of inkling or feeling where they might have thought like, man, I really need to be spending my time wisely and I need to get oil because I think the bridegroom's coming fairly soon. I've heard about it. And, and a teacher can come by and just kind of like pull that that intensity and that seriousness out from under them and make them feel confident to just go on like wasting the rest of this precious time, you know, or on the other hand, a a teacher could come by and just really clearly and earnestly exhort them and say, guys, now is the only time you have to buy oil. The, The people who sell oil won't be open later when the bridegroom comes. Like if you like, and could stir up their hearts and their minds. Um, and, that would be like an incredibly blessed and effective and useful form of teaching, right? But you see, it, it's important from a negative and a positive way because of how it affected what those 10 virgins did or didn't do with their time in either getting oil or not getting oil. It didn't matter because it changed their mind or not, you know? 
Because at the end of the day, the Lord is looking for oil on the lamps, not what you believed about whether there needed to be oil on the lamps, you know? So maybe the, the good teacher came by and said, you guys, this is the time to get oil and, and really spoke truth. And then some of them don't get oil at all. They can't just say to the Lord, well, I heard the teacher and I totally believed that it was the, that was my time to get oil, you know? And the Lord might say, but you still have no oil, <laughs> you know? It doesn't matter that you heard the teacher and that you agreed with it, or maybe you were you even were the teacher. Maybe you went out and told some other virgins that they needed to get oil. But did you get oil? And and so that it's it's that way. That's the reason why I think it's like I don't like to just like come up here and say like, hey, let's like bash on like wrong doctrine or something like that. But um, but I feel that way. I feel that way about like life and and these these years that the lord has given each of us like we're in that like i know we're not literally in a parable but all those parables were written about us we are in this incredibly significant period of time where we we have an opportunity and we have an open door in front of us or and we can use it or not use it and um and if if there's somebody saying to us, oh, don't worry, even though you have no oil, the Lord sees oil where there is no oil. And that's like, it's worth calling that out and saying that's not, that's not right. And so I guess that's a little bit of a roundabout way of kind of beginning that like that, um, that's kind of how I feel about like salvation as is very frequently uh, portrayed. Um, and it's it's dangerous and it's wrong not just because it's false but it's dangerous and it's wrong because um because it will make us feel secure in wasting the time and the opportunity that the lord has given us to to be saved to work out our salvation um there I think I think maybe I'll kind of go back to the beginning and just kind of try to describe I think a little bit of the I mean in order to talk about like what salvation is I think we have to have like a little bit of a clear understanding of like what what the fall was and what what our problem is with the Lord you know um like when Adam and Eve fell I think it's it's easy to understand that like their problem wasn't like a wrong belief or a wrong opinion about something that wasn't the that wasn't the nature of their separation from God and their like fall into a, like an awful condition. Um, that I, I think it's it's much more accurate to say that. Well, let me say it like this: like heaven, uh, the Lord's prayer says, like let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I really think that that's like that's what makes heaven heaven is. Um, that only the will of God is done perfectly, always, by every everything, by every creature, by every um, every creature with a will, wills to do God's will, and there is like a perfect harmony, a perfect purity, a perfect uh, subjection of every every created thing coming under the government of the Lord. And living under, and that, 
and, and his his life, his righteousness, his power, his law, his um, his glory, his truth, everything. That's that that that's everything we could ever want, and it, it is maintained and known and experienced as all keep in subjection and underneath him and and. Um, I don't, I'm, I don't know how exactly what words to say, but I think you get what I'm trying to reach for. And so the, the, the problem with Adam and Eve's fall wasn't just that they took up a wrong opinion or even that they just, that it was, that they failed some sort of arbitrary t- test that God gave them. But without getting too deep into it, I think that the, the, the thing that made the fall the fall was that self-will rose up. Self-will like a will broke off from and opposed God. And as at the moment that happened, there was death. There was a fall. I think you could say the same thing about angels. As soon as, I don't understand how this works or why it happened, but as soon as some portion of the angels decided to renounce their subjection under God, then then something in them appeared that was completely opposite to the nature of heaven. And I think in essence, you could say that instantly they fell out of heaven. They didn't even have to get like thrown out of heaven because heaven is living in the state of like everything being in perfect subjection to God. So when a, when a will in the angels rose up to, against God, then they, that will kind of became their fall from heaven and their torment and their hell and their, and, um, because you can't, there can't be self will in heaven. It's not like, it's not like just God decided like, well, it's heaven and these are my rules. And so I'm not going to let self in here. You know, you know what I mean? As if he could have made the rules differently and said, well, self will and wickedness can come in, I guess, and we'll still have heaven here. You know what I mean? It's like the nature of the thing itself is that self-will and self-life is like the nature of hell and where it appears like heaven is gone, you know? And I just say that because like that's 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 like the nature of our pro- the pro- the problem wasn't just like an offense, it wasn't just a um a single transgression, it wasn't um, it wasn't a wrong opinion or a belief. It wasn't just that they got tricked by the devil. It was, I mean, the devil tricked them for sure, but it's that a, a, a different will that wasn't under, that wasn't subject, that didn't like breathe what the last Adam like lived, thy will be done, not mine. Like a different will rose up and then there was death and shame and hell and separation from God from the, the instant that took place. You know what I mean? And um, that that's the fundamental problem. And the solution, redemption, salvation, justification, there's lots of different words and angles you can kind of uh, view this at, um, has to do with like laying an axe to the root of the actual problem and and recovering man out of that condition where self has come alive and something that could never be in heaven and never will be in heaven is like has possession of us and we 
we are in it and it, it is in us. And that has to be, that has to be taken, like mankind has to be brought back into, um, like in substance, in heart, in nature, into a subjection to God, a submission to God, a, um, a recovery out of self-life and self-will and self-everything. Um, because there's just, there's just no possibility of God ever, there's no form of salvation where God just kind of like decides that, that for any reason he can now just sort of have fellowship with sin or self or self-will, you know, there's no, I think about that, that scripture in like, I think it's second Corinthians six, where Paul says like, what? What fellowship has light with darkness? That that's an eternal truth, that there is no possible fellowship. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim, this is what John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him but walk in the darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. That's it's something humans do all the time, is claim to have fellowship with God and walk in the darkness, but it's not. It's not possible. It's not real. It's a fiction. It's an imagination. It's it's only that imagination will only last. I think while we're in these bodies and in the, and can deceive ourselves in that way. But eternity will show. Like oh my goodness, that there if there's not you can't you can't actually have fellowship with him who is perfect, who dwells in unapproachable light, whose eyes are too pure to even look upon evil. You you can't. There, there never will be a reconciliation between God and sin. And so, so God's salvation and redemption comes to like actually change the nature working and governing and ruling in the heart of man. Um, not just to, not just to declare that it's not a problem anymore, not just to say to our empty lamp vessels, like, oh yeah, that's full, even though it's empty, you know, it's the, the solution is, is real and it's, it's substantial and it goes and reaches to the place where the, the problem actually is. Um, so that, that was, that was just man's problem from the, I, I just, I, I hope that that's clear. And honestly, the, the whole, the whole Old Testament is um, a description. You could say this a couple of ways, but it's a like the Lord from the very beginning. I think when Adam immediately when Adam and Eve fell, um, he there's a sense in which I think it's proper and accurate to say that like he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the light of every man that ever lived before the cross or after the cross. And I think that's what he was speaking even right there. And I think it's Genesis 3 when he says uh, the, the, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And he spoke of the seed that was going to uh, bruise, the, bruise the serpent and... Um, in the fullness of the of time, that seed came in in a in a natural body in the incarnation as the the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and yet, um, 
and yet he he always was the bruiser of the serpent in the heart of every human being even before the cross because you think about it, what immediately happens after like Adam and Eve is we see like the very first two men that are born in the whole earth become this perfect illustration of the fact that mankind um, is born into this condition and yet has an ability given, has a gift from God by which they could overcome sin. So that's kind of a strong thing to say even for like the Old Testament. Like is it, can could the Old Testament saints overcome sin? But like think about like, Think about what the Lord spoke to Cain in that, I forget where it is, Genesis 4 or something like that. But remember, Cain, we have Cain and Abel, and like the scriptures speak of, like in 1 John, I think it says that like Abel, his deeds were righteous before the, before the Lord. And I think it's Hebrews that said that like Abel had a testimony that his like deeds were pleasing to the Lord. So there's something happening in Abel where he's, He's one of those men like Noah or Enoch or something like that who, who um, learns how to, to come back under the government of, of God and come into subjection and into some measure of purity and holiness. Um, and, and the scripture also says that Cain hated Abel because his brother's works were right, righteous and his were evil. And then right there from the very, very beginning, we, we see the Lord striving with Cain and in love and mercy, reaching out to him and speaking to him and saying, Cain, why are, why are you troubled? Why are you sad? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not also be accepted? But sin, and then he says, but sin lies at your door or crouches at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. I think that's just such an incredible statement so early in the scripture of the Lord kind of saying, Sin is is trying to devour you, Cain, but you have an ability to also do well, and you have a bit, an ability to master this thing that's trying to devour you. And not not for a minute, I, I think, can we say that there was strength enough in Cain's flesh to overcome sin, you know, or that because of just good old that you know old fashioned determination or something that Abel became righteous. No, like nobody. It's a it's an eternal law, I think. What Jesus said: "Apart from me, you can do nothing." You know, so when when the Lord is pleading with Cain that he must master it, I think it's because already by then there was there was something near the heart of man. There was a word in the heart to which, like Moses later pointed them to, even different from the outward covenant. There was. There was a seed that would bruise the serpent that, that Cain could feel. And by that, by that implanted power, by that word, he could, he could live like his brother Abel did. And he could feel what his brother Abel did. You know what I mean? And um, but I lost my thought there for a second. But so I guess I just say that because it's it's very common for 
I was in kind of the mainstream church for a lot of time and nobody ever like sat down and said it exactly like this. But if I can, if you guys let me make a little character of like how, like it really seems like many people like think about like the Lord and the Old Testament and salvation and the New Testament is it really seems like there's this like feeling out there that like under the Old Testament that God like seems to care a lot about like righteousness and purity and holiness. And there was, you know, the fear of the Lord was like a big thing and he sent his prophets and there were judgments and there were, um, uh, there were laws about purity and there were laws about cleanness and there was like all this, um, emphasis and there was like a written, you know, things that you're not allowed to do in the outward law. And you kind of go, go on and on about that. And, I think like what a lot of people think is that that somehow that all didn't work. And so it's almost like the Lord called this like convention at some point, maybe got some of his like most trusted angels to like come around him and said, okay, we've been working on like righteousness and holiness with uh, the earth for a couple thousand years now and the results have not been good. And uh, most of the nations are just completely – going their own way and even Israel who we've invested all this time and energy and sent all the prophets to like they're doing awful too. So I propose we turn over a new leaf and we try again. We're going to we're going to call it the new covenant and it's going to be totally different and it's just the you know the whole righteousness thing like didn't like didn't work and so we got to try a different angle on this and so instead I'm going to uh, send my son Jesus and you're going to die on the cross and um, that's going to take away the the requirement or the need for there to be holiness and purity and righteousness. And then maybe one of the angels would say something like, okay, but then like in the future, how do we know like who's like in, in the Old Testament, like if you transgress the law, you kind of were outside of Israel. And so like, how do we know who's in and who's out now, Lord? And the Lord will say like, okay, under the new covenant, um, we're going to make it so that we're going to tell people about Jesus dying on the cross. And if they, if they, if they, if they hear that story from somebody and they, they agree that it's true, then those ones are in. And the people who don't believe it's true or maybe never get to hear it, then, um, they're, they're out. They're on the, they're, those are the goats, you know? And, and of course, like I said, like I, no, I never sat around with a bunch of pastors and said like that this is like nobody would actually articulate that. But the 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 sense of it, the gist of it is is honestly really strong and pervasive. This idea that holiness and purity and cleanliness and righteousness was like a big deal and then there was this like 180 and God said, "Okay, now I just want people to believe the story about the great love of my son and dying on the cross. And if they believe that, then that's all that matters. And they, whether, whether they continue in sin, whether they spend the rest of their lives in worldliness and ungodliness and forgetfulness of God, um, as long as they have had a real genuine experience of having heard the the story of what Jesus did, then that's, that's all that matters, you know? And, um, and that is, that's kind of like, I, I don't think there's any way to kind of say it too lightly. I, I, 
that is really, really wrong and really, really false. And it's really, really dangerous. And it's, but it's, it's dangerous. Not because, again, the Lord is going to like separate the sheep and the goats by like, did you have the right opinion about justification? Did you have the right doctrine about how, how salvation works? Like, no, it's, it's, it's dangerous because the Lord has given us a time, a day, uh, uh, an opportunity, a day of salvation, um, where we have the ability by yielding to that that thing that was a mystery hid in the Gentiles through all generations, that bruiser of the serpent, that thing that enabled Abel to be what he was, which which gloriously was like unveiled and proclaimed and brought to light in the in the gospel and proclaimed openly uh, by Paul and Jesus and others. But we we have this opportunity to to be recovered out of our condition. Um, we have the ability to to lay down self will. You know, Paul says, "You were darkness," and that that's our problem. And the, the the new covenant doesn't didn't like didn't make it so that darkness and light can now mix. And that's like what seems so prevalent in the the definition and the understanding of like righteousness and salvation. The 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 church in, in great measure preaches this idea that uh salvation or grace is is somehow that God did something in his in, in his mysterious counsel that allowed him to be reconciled with darkness that he could somehow now call the darkness light or like i was saying with the the virgins to say like oh even though your your lamp is is empty we're going to pretend like it is but no like salvation has always been about a real inward change a real substantial uh laying down of of self-will of dying to self there's a reason why that's almost like the main and only thing that Jesus was constantly um, constantly emphasizing in like his parables and his preaching was the necessity of a dying to self and of losing your life. That's not because he's he just like loves to see us squirm or in pain or something. It's because our life is the thing that's keeping us out of heaven. Our that that is our hell. That is our darkness. That is the thing that God never, ever can ever have like unity and fellowship. Never did, never will. And the, and the coming of the new covenant and the, the appearing of the Lord Jesus was, was not at all like an about face or a change of an idea about whether righteousness is, is real or important. It, it was the, it was the fulfilling of everything that God had been aiming at for all of the old covenant. It was the unveiling and the the outpouring of a greater measure of uh, what had always been working in a mystery, uh, even even throughout all centuries. You know, and that's why Jesus. Like, do you think ever think about how Jesus Jesus appears on the scene, and he's already talking about how. 
some people are his sheep and some people aren't. And he says, my sheep know my voice. Wisdom is justified by her, by her children. Like talking to the Pharisees and saying like, you don't, you can't hear my words and you can't receive me um, because you're not my sheep. But I, I have those who, who know my voice. I, there are those who will justify wisdom or wisdom will justify wisdom in anything else, any, anyone where they see it. Um, and that's because even before he appeared naturally in time, he was the light that enlightens every man that comes into the world. And there were those who had in measure already felt something of that light. David felt something of that. David felt something of the word and the light beyond the written law, beyond the outward law, and spoke of it and testified to it. And it was those who, you know, in, in the time of Jesus had um, had in some measure um, given up to and yielded to and begun to be taught by and guided by and led by the bruiser of the serpent, those were the ones that could, when he appeared and began to teach, they could say, I'm not sure about him. I, I didn't think he would have come from Nazareth, and, but I know that's, I know that's the Lord. How did they know that? They, they knew that because they were his sheep. They felt by the witness, by the, 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 the submission of their hearts even prior to seeing him in the flesh. They had seen him they had, in measure and they could, they could recognize him. And that's why the, the learned scribes who you know, had spent all their days studying the scriptures Yet if they had, they had filled their minds and their lives with knowledge of the outward law and thought that they were the most perfect and correct and exact practicers of everything of the Old Testament law, if, if they had been quenching and stifling and resisting and opposing the bruiser of the serpent in their own heart, then what do they do when he appears before them in the flesh? You know, they... They hate him and they oppose him and they resist him and they do outwardly to him what they had been doing inwardly to him their whole lives. And then a great, it's just, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's the same thing has been happening throughout all, like all, all of history and the history of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament that like, the, the real work of, of, of coming out of our fallen condition, of coming out of our uncleanness and our unholiness, of laying down our lives, um, that has always been like painful and difficult and very few have, have been willing and, and desiring to, to walk in that way. And so what does man do? Well, man always casts up this other thing instead. Man always like props up some other idea about what, what it means to be saved, what they have to be saved from and how, how it is that they are saved. And so like in the, the old covenant, um, the Jews took everything that like the Lord had given them, hope that I, I think was like Paul says the law was given 
to, as a tutor unto Christ, as like this ministry in one sense of condemnation is to, um, to make them feel the weakness and the hopelessness of their condition and hopefully turn them to, um, turn them to the Lord. And yet they, they took that, all the things that the Lord and mercy had given them in that way. And they began to sort of like build it into a building that they then rested in, in this false security and said, well, we have the law and we have the prophets and Abraham is our father. And I can trace that my daddy's 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 daddy comes from the right person. And so I'm safe. I'm saved. And those people are bad. And so they took the whole nature of, of salvation and instead of it becoming an inward change out of self-life and self-will, they erected something in its place and said, well, I, you know, I'm Abraham's son or daughter. And the, 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 the true prophets always came and tried to, to, to take a whack at that lie because it's always been there. But just think about the way when John the Baptist appears. It's like the whole thing he says is like, repent. Don't say to yourself, we have Abraham as your father. Like he's, he's trying to chase them out of this empty word that they are speaking, which is, it's okay, it's okay, I'm okay, Abraham's my father. And he says, if you don't bear fruits in keeping with repentance, if there's not like fruits being the visible manifestation of a real inward change out of one nature into another, then none of that means anything. And he tried to expose that and he tried to, to like rip them out of that deception. And, but, um, it's easy to kind of like condemn them and say like, oh, those silly Pharisees who thought that like they just had Abraham as their father. But like there's always a form of that in every generation. And it seems like what happened in the, uh, in the apostles' generation is quickly something that I think we would even recognize today started to like to come in where this idea that um, – what Jesus had done on the cross or that his, his work on the cross, which was, by the way, there's not even words strong enough to say how it's not just indispensable. I mean, I, I honestly, the way I understand it, I think that it's because of Jesus appearing and dying on the cross that he purchased the ability for him to become the bruiser of the serpent for Abel and Noah and Enoch and you and me and for everyone who ever lived. The, the I don't at all mean to slight or, or downplay the, the the outward appearing of Jesus after many thousands of years of the old covenant, but everything is 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 based on that. But 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 very quickly there came to be this idea that um, that somehow the the work of of Christ and his perfect offering could sort of just. Could, could pronounce us righteous while there was no, no actual change, no real inward laying down of that hellish monster of self-life, that thing that can never and will never inherit the kingdom of God, that thing that never had fellowship with God and never will have fellowship with God. There very quickly became something that took the place of we have Abraham for our father. And it seems like it was something along the lines of, well, I can, 
you know, I believed in Jesus or I, I um, you know, the Lord doesn't see my sin anymore or grace means that like um, I can continue on in sin and and hope for heaven when I die. You, you know what I mean? And I... I, I jotted down like the honestly the scriptures are just like full of 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 warnings about this and I think we've seen them and known and probably felt them but I, I think I'll maybe just end by kind of recommending a, a few of these verses just to think about a little bit um, the there's let me read from Ephesians five uh, five through seven Paul says. Uh, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you with empty words. That's Already, Paul was fighting against this. He says it a handful of other times, like uh, Galatians 5. He says, I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. So this is clearly something he said a lot to them. And he's saying, like, remember, I've already told you this, and I'm going to tell you it again. That those who practice such things, him having just given a list of, like, the, the deeds of the flesh, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Why, why are these things like, why is the Bible full of these? Or Here's another one in 1 John. This couldn't be plainer, I think. John says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Why would the apostles feel so compelled to like continually warn and and say, whatever you do, don't be deceived about this thing? And and just the, the simplicity with which John says it, do not be deceived. He who practices righteousness is righteous, as if to say, there is a deception out there that says that you can be righteous or somehow be accounted righteous without actually like living righteously. And I think if we're honest, that's like the very thing that like sadly the gospel has been twisted into. That that somehow the gospel makes it so that we can have the name or a status or a, um, a position of righteousness without practicing righteousness, without a real holiness. You know, there's, there's that verse in Hebrews that says, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's this idea that we, we can see the Lord without holiness. In fact, it, many go so far, almost all go so far as to say that real holiness, real purity, real overcoming of sin is actually impossible. Like people, 
people say that and preach that and comfort each other and in their in their sin and in their worldliness and say like don't worry brother don't worry sister like none of us it's, we can't overcome these things. Thank goodness for what Jesus did. Again, kind of with this idea that that there is a righteousness that we can have without practicing righteousness. And it's just, I'm telling you, it's a, I know that all you guys know this. It's kind of weird trying to do a teaching in front of you all guys. We talk about these things all the time and but I, I don't know, for the sake of just kind of like, I don't know that we've we've ever kind of like really said it really clearly that way or kind of confronted it head on, head on in that way. But, um, the, you know, the, the salvation of God does not work by like an invisible naming of us to be in a condition that we're not. It works by giving us, I'm not saying that we can do this. I'm not saying Abel could do it, but the, the grace of God is not God becoming reconciled to us in our sin because of what Jesus did. The, the grace of God is the, the gift and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ sent exactly where we needed it, in the place where sin is, because sin overcame us and worked in us as this inward principle that consumed us and filled us and enslaved us. And we, don't, we didn't need a new idea or a new doctrine or just a new status. What we need is something to be sown. We need like a, 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 you know, a soldier to be sent right where the enemy is and to take that thing out. And so that's what the Lord did is sending his, the light and grace of his son into our hearts to to be the life and the power and the fulfillment of the righteousness of the law in us. If we would give up to it, if we would lay down our, our will, but if we think that just the fact that Jesus died on the cross and that we assent to it and we believe in it, if we think that that guarantees our salvation, that the scripture has no comfort for you. In fact, the scripture is full of warnings of the strongest language and the simplest language. Things like Jesus saying, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I know you? Didn't I actually, wasn't I even in the ministry? I cast out demons. I did all these things. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. You practiced lawlessness. You hear that? He who is we who practices righteousness is righteous. And so all those people saying, Lord, Lord, I thought, but I thought, clearly had some sort of deception that thought that even though they continued practicing unrighteousness and lawlessness, that the Lord somehow saw them instead of, and, and in that false teaching, in that dangerous false idea, they slept away their whole life, trifling away their time with, foolish pastimes and 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 they they failed to do what Paul said which is redeem the time the days are evil and this this false justification and false salvation just lulls people to sleep and and tells them it's okay god god's grace you know perverting the grace of god turning it into licentiousness and lewdness just like scripture said would happen taking somehow this idea of grace, which is the very thing that came to teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live soberly and righteously, looking and longing and reaching for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and, and yet we've taken that and we've said that's the thing that that's why it's okay that we get to go to heaven and we get to, we're just as worldly as our neighbors are. And we love all the things they love and we live the way they love and our hearts are as dead and as cold as theirs are. But that's a, that's a lie. It's false. It's not real. And it's so dangerous because now is our time for us to, not, not by our own strength, not by our own will, in, by the least stretch, but by meekly receiving the word implanted, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. We can lose our life. We can come to hate our life. We can, we can, we can feel the, the second Adam raising in our hearts a, a different thing than what our first father said when he said, I'll take my will, I'll take my life, I'll take that fruit, I'll take... We'll, we'll feel the second Adam praying and breathing through us, not my will, but yours be done. And 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 the, the, the thing that... The thing that immediately removed Adam and Eve from paradise will be... Will be wasted away and removed in us. And it's still from the beginning to the end, it's still him. He's still the author of it, the beginner, and he's the alpha and the omega of it. But it's a it's a real inward substantial change. Uh, I want to read this one more verse says this really well, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's still by that precious offering and it's still by his righteousness that we are perfected and received and accepted. And we'll, we'll cast our crowns down for all eternity and say, not unto us, but to you be all the glory. You did every, every good thing that ever happened in me, every, every little bit of fruit. You were the author in the beginning of it. And yet, it is only those who in time yield to this work of sanctification. It's only though, he only perfects those who are being sanctified. He doesn't perfect those who just heard the story. Or, I said that was the last verse, but 2 Timothy 2.19, so good. Nevertheless, the solid foundation or the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Uh, there's there's a lot more we could say about that, and there's there's some big questions that that raises. I totally understand, and um, but I, I think maybe I'll just kind of like leave it there, and we can um, we can maybe transition to maybe like a time of discussion, or if folks have questions, or 